Hello, listeners and fellow explorers. This is Living in the Sprawl's lovely and talented producer slash fiance, Lisa Lowe. I wanted to thank all of you for your constant support of the show. As a new podcast on the scene, the number one way to support the show is to rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Many of you have been doing this and it has helped immensely. You can also check out our website and the show notes for other ways to support the show. We have new merch on our website, and we are working with companies that we currently use ourselves to get discount codes for our listeners and support the research and work we do for the show in the process. These companies include Every Table Meal Delivery Service, which offers delicious, cost-effective meals delivered straight to your door. Just CBD Store, which offers great-tasting CBD-only gummies in a variety of flavors, and Miss to Mrs. Boxes for Brides-to-Be. My sister Jennifer surprised me with this box when I got engaged, and it was the most perfect, thoughtful gift. You can also support us on Patreon and Podfan. Please check out the website at livinginthesprawlpodcast.com for updates on companies we are working with, our testimonies, links, codes, and new Living in the Sprawl merchandise. Again, thank you to all of you, our lovely listeners, for tuning in every week and allowing us to do what we love. Without further ado... Your humble correspondent, John Steinberg. Hello, and welcome to another installment of Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. I am your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg. Sitting alongside me, as always, is my lovely and talented producer slash fiance, at least for a few more months before we can uh, turn part of that slash into wife, which is very exciting. Her name is Lisa Lowe. And with the coming of the winter, the fall, colder weather, We wanted to explore one of the more unsung components in our great sprawling area of expertise, and that is our bountiful crop of museums. See, when people from outside the state consider California, more specifically Southern California, they imagine families or couples frolicking in the sand before hopping into the Pacific Ocean for a quick dip. They envision families with red and white tablecloths spread across the grass at a local park enjoying a festive picnic. They see the average temperature of the weather and imagine that all of Southern California's best attributes can be found outdoors. Alas, we are here to prove that is a falsehood. We've assembled a compelling collection of 10 outstanding museums that hopefully will prove to you, our dear listeners, that Southern California, far from being the cultural wasteland that some East Coast elites might have you believe, rather that as residents of Southern California... We have an ample supply of culturally relevant museums. And for purposes of this episode, we're going to expand the typical definition of a museum. Because this is Southern California, the cradle of American creativity, 
we can do better than merely focusing upon things like art galleries. So you aren't going to find the blah, 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 blah museum of art here. It's not particularly unique. You can find those in pretty much any American city across the country. No, 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 dear listener. What we have is a collection of unique odes to that most important of California attributes, innovation. So, where to start? Now, in truth, I didn't want this to be exclusively a city-based collection. For obvious reasons, many of America's best museums are often found in larger population centers. So, no matter how hard you try, you will inevitably find yourself coming back to a few museums that are within city boundaries. But I feel confident that inside this list, there are some genuinely inspiring diamonds in the rough. So, let us begin. At number 10, let's head to the Inland Empire. And I do have to say, before we get started in earnest here, it was a little bit difficult finding a great museum to represent this important part of our terrain, but I think we landed on something exceptional. So, at number 10, the Plains of Fame Aviation Museum in the city of Chino. Your humble correspondent and host, along with his lovely and talented producer slash fiance, had an opportunity to visit this wonderfully charming museum about a month ago. It's one of maybe half a dozen aviation-related museums that can be found in different places across the Southland. There's the Western Museum of Flight in Torrance. There's a number of such examples. This collection of some pretty fantastic airplanes is housed at the Chino Airport. The museum was established in 1970, originally in the nearby city of Ontario. And I would say the real jewel of this particular collection is... I'm not going to use the technical term. I'll just kind of call it what any person outside of an aviation expert would call it. They are one of the only museums in the world that actually has a Japanese fighter plane from World War II. So the planes that we associate with kamikaze pilots and all of that, one of those was spared so that we could take a look at it with our own eyes and appreciate the role that this old ode to aviation played in the dramatic escalation and subsequent culmination of the Second World War. There's a really fun American fighter plane that customers have the opportunity to actually sit inside of with a replica sort of machine gun situation where children or whomever can reenact what it might have been like for Air Force enlistees during World War II. It's going to be hot in Chino for at least nine months of the year, but if you happen to visit the Plains of Fame Museum in one of the cooler months, you won't notice the lack of air conditioning. 
And who can uh, really quibble with any of that when you have the distinct honor of feasting your eyes upon some of the greatest examples of American innovation that we have on display within our midst from fighter planes straight out of Top Gun to stealth bombers and everything in between. This is a really impressive museum in one of the more unexpected parts of Southern California. So at number 10, if you do find yourself within the realm of the Inland Empire, fear not, dear listener. The Plains of Fame Museum has all of your cultural wants and desires covered in great detail. And that's why we began our journey in Chino. At number nine, the Richard Milhouse Nixon Presidential Library in that greatest of Orange County cities, Yorba Linda. Originally envisioned as part of the Duke University campus in Durham, North Carolina, where Nixon attended law school, the museum wound up being established in Yorba Linda due to an unexpected backlash that followed the announcement of a proposed Nixon library at Duke University. So, scratch that, new plans, let's go to where it all began. And thus, the seeds of the Richard Nixon Presidential Library were born. For the library stands on land adjacent to where the American president was actually born. Moreover, the house where he was born is accessible to the public because it's right there within the grounds of the Nixon Library. Now, this is obviously not a political show. My political feelings and those of my lovely and talented producer slash fiance are not important to anything that we do here on this particular podcast. So let's just keep the focus with the actual library. It is a beautiful tribute to Richard Nixon with a full-blown replica of not only the Oval Office, but also the White House dining hall where world diplomats were often treated to first-class celebrations. The Nixon Library is actually available for your own celebration. So if you're a listener with a hankering to celebrate some of life's signature moments in the backdrop of Richard Milhouse Nixon, you can absolutely rent the facility for any such occasion. Now, dear listeners, your humble correspondent and host has a real predilection for presidential libraries. I've actually been to 10 of them across the country. There's always something special and singular about visiting these such museums. In addition to containing a cavalcade of exhibits, papers, and paraphernalia associated with one's presidency, these presidential shrines also speak to a larger period in history. They kind of encompass an era. So as you walk through the grounds of the Nixon Library, 
you are also walking back in time to kind of a survey of what it was like to be alive when Tricky Dick was in office. You can imagine the beginning of the Vietnam War, how it was handled, the draft, Nixon going to China, the bombing of Cambodia, and then, of course, the resignation and proclamation that I am not a crook. All of this is held very much in the air with each passing step as you meander the grounds of the Nixon Presidential Library. Both he and Pat are buried on site. And in this particular instance, I believe that Duke's loss is most certainly Southern California's gain. And in Orange County, a region not widely recognized for its strong collection of museums, this one stands out in full panoramic splendor. Your humble correspondent and host actually purchased a Richard Nixon bobblehead while visiting the library. And it now sits on a shelf inside of the living room where this show is being recorded currently. So if you, dear listener, are interested in procuring a Richard Nixon bobblehead for yourself, this is the place to do it. So check out the Richard Milhouse Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda. At number eight... The Peterson Automotive Museum, which takes us to Museum Row in the Miracle Mile section of Los Angeles. This being located at the intersection of Fairfax and Wilshire. It's the building with the kind of crazy, unorthodox design on the front of it that is simply impossible to miss if you find yourself motoring along Wilshire Boulevard. Angelinos can thank Pete Peterson for this tremendous addition to the cultural life of the City of Angels. Inside, over a hundred antique Cars are on display for any and everyone to see and adore, including standouts such as the Batmobile from that most underrated of Batman feature films, 1992's Batman Returns. Yeah, the one where Danny DeVito plays the Penguin and for some reason eats a ton of still living fish on camera. There's a great crop of cars from the likes of Steve McQueen in movies such as The Fast and Furious. I had the great fortune of visiting a museum with my father a couple years back, and we both marveled at many of the vehicles that we both recognized from movies we would watch together while I was growing up. Now, An automotive museum is not necessarily a great example of Southern California's creativity. You can find automobile museums as far as the eye can seemingly see with respect to the United States. It does feel as if every state has at least four different automotive museums that basically exist because people 
want to show off their old cars. They say, hey, we got this old Chevy, check it out. And so they create a place for those automobiles to be seen. But this being the home of the entertainment industry, the Peterson Automotive Museum is chocked full of incredible vehicles that you will undoubtedly recognize from some of your favorite movies. And I found it interesting with a few folks that I researched for this list, like Pete Peterson, whose birth name was Robert, but everyone called him Pete. In addition to being an avid automobile collector and enthusiast, he made his fortune as a magazine tycoon, which how about that for the 2020s? A magazine tycoon, that is not something that exists anymore. But he was the founder of popular publications such as Hot Rod and most notably, in my opinion, Tiger Beat, that magazine which existed so prepubescent girls could ogle pictures of their favorite teen idols, your Leif Garretts and whatnot. That was all because of Pete Peterson whose name is associated with the best automotive museum in Southern California. And that's why it's here at number eight. At number seven, let's get weird. Let's go to the Museum of Death on Hollywood Boulevard, because of course it's on Hollywood Boulevard. Originally, the museum was located in San Diego, but after its founders sought to amass a large collection of items taken from the scene of the Heaven's Gate mass suicide. Yeah, their landlord said no dice and they were evicted. And in 1999, the museum found a home on that most distinctive of American boulevards, the one named Hollywood. Housed inside the former home of Ocean Beach Recording, this museum offers a serious glimpse into the dark side of humanity. This museum is not for the faint of heart, I will tell you. I went a couple of years ago and there was an exhibition on the Black Dahlia with some photos that are not safe for work or really any other circumstance that life might present. But if you are someone that likes to get weird, who is obsessed with true crime podcasts, and like my grandmother is maybe something of a rubbernecker, this is the perfect place for you. Inside, they have everything from actual drawings by John Wayne Gacy, to crime scene photos from the Nicole Brown and Ronald Goldman murders, and of course, the beds from the San Diego home where the members of Heaven's Gate did commit mass suicide. According to the museum's founders, the museum is meant to be a celebration of life. It's meant to remind us that we should always remember how happy we are to be alive. Certainly one way to look at it. But I haven't found any museum in the world quite like this one. Although there is a second branch of the Museum of Death that's located in New Orleans, which I haven't been to. 
But speaking on behalf of the one located on Hollywood Boulevard, I can tell you that this is an experience like no other. And if you're someone who enjoys a dalliance with the macabre, this is where you should go. So number seven, the Museum of Death. And number six, let's go to Fresno and tap into some truly unbelievable subterranean art. I am talking about the underground gardens. This isn't the technical title, and this is one such example where we are expanding upon the conventional definitions of a museum, but this tribute to human beings' capacity for creativity will take any visitor's breath away. This was built in Fresno from 1906 through 1946 by an Italian visionary, a Sicilian, who wanted to see if he could establish a way to live underground. Fortunate for Southern California residents and those visiting the area that you have the capacity to investigate a man's life's work. Below the surface, 65 rooms exist with a breathtaking combination of flora and fauna that you would absolutely never imagine could exist underneath the city of Fresno. And yet it does. Without question, if you ask anyone who's ever lived in Fresno what to visit, what to check out while they're in town, this is the first place they will tell you to go. It's a really special place that had a bit of a Carlsbad Cavern vibe to it, except that the mission statement was completely different. This wouldn't exist without genuine innovation, and though it's not a conventional brick-and-mortar museum, I believe that the Underground Gardens absolutely qualifies and is entirely worthy of a visit if you find yourself in the San Joaquin Valley. A real hidden gem. The Underground Gardens of Fresno. At number five, the Broad, not the Broad, the Broad in downtown Los Angeles. This outstanding artistic cathedral was originally proposed to be built at the intersection of Santa Monica and Wilshire, which is squarely inside the 90210. And if that original plan had indeed come to fruition, I'm quite sure this museum would, not only would the museum be absent from the list, it wouldn't have even merited consideration. But its location, adjacent to the Frank Gehry designed Walt Disney Concert Hall, and presence in a downtown that, with the effort of many, many citizens, has undergone a dramatic revitalization in the last 15 years puts it in our crosshairs. In reading about Eli Broad, his story reminded me of a quintessential American, and I hate phrases like this, but you'll know what I'm talking about when I use it, so I'll just use it for the sake of convenience, a rags-to-riches story. For the ages, actually. 
This is a gentleman from Michigan. He went to Michigan State. And after a couple other careers, found himself in charge of an enormous life insurance company that he sold for millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then he actually took the fortune that he amassed, put his money where his mouth was, dedicated his twilight years to overseeing a cultural renaissance in the City of Angels. A rabid art collector... Mr. Broad commissioned the building of a contemporary art museum to house a cornucopia of amazing artifacts. So inside the Broad, I'll tell you a couple of highlights. You got to start with the odd Jeff Koons piece, Michael Jackson and Bubbles. This is a life-sized porcelain statue of the King of Pop sitting on a bed of flowers with his pal, the chimpanzee, Bubbles. Your humble correspondent host is the type of individual who rolls his eyes every time an art gallery or museum props up a 400-year-old portrait of a Spanish noble. The portraits and landscape paintings are nowhere to be found inside the Broad. It's avant-garde, slightly strange, and completely at home in the city of Los Angeles. Pieces from Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein, and the iconic Norms on La Cienega on Fire by Edward Rausch are all housed inside this contemporary art palace. I'm thrilled that Los Angeles was the beneficiary of a true altruistic gentlemen. Eli Brode is that rare philanthropist who actually doesn't seem to be hiding anything or overcompensating for anything, but genuinely appears to have wanted to make an impact on the city that he loved so much for generations and generations to enjoy long after his own passing. Additionally, you know we love a good culinary discussion here at Living in the Sprawl. So if you find yourself en route to the Broad, plan ahead so that you can have a meal at the on-site restaurant, Odium, which comes to us by way of celebrity chef Tim Hollingsworth, who cut his teeth at the French Laundry in Northern California before competing on a host of culinary competition shows. A great Saturday would be lunch at Odium, followed by a memorable trip to the Broad. At number four, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley. Now, I did mention that I have a passion, a thing you might say, for presidential libraries. And of the two within the scope of our purview, this is the superior one. This is actually the largest presidential library of the 12 in the United States. But like the Richard Milhouse Nixon Library, the existence of the old Gippers Museum didn't go off without a hitch. Originally, the museum was supposed to be located at Stanford University. 
But alas, after a backlash and perceived idea that if Stanford were to house the museum, it would in some way be a sort of seal of approval for Reagan's presidential policies, there was a backlash to the idea for political reasons. And so Simi Valley was selected to establish the home for America's 40th president. He and Nancy are both buried on site. And as is the case with other presidential libraries, those visiting will get the whole Ronald Reagan experience in an afternoon. You'll start out by learning about his humble upbringing in Dixon, Illinois, through his achievements as a sports broadcaster, then an actor in the entertainment industry, followed by his transition into politics, where he became governor of the state of California, before assuming the mantle of executive-in-chief. On the grounds, there's an incredible Air Force One replica that was built to the exact specifications of the airplane that Ronald and Nancy used as they were meeting with world leaders. Inside, there's also a huge piece of the fallen Berlin Wall, because it's not a conversation about Ronald Reagan if there's not a mention of Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. So there has to be a piece of that wall at the museum. It's a really beautiful museum, having undergone renovations in 2015. Millions of papers are located at the library for scholars to pursue at their leisure or at the behest of thesis advisors. As residents of Southern California, I do feel that we are incredibly lucky to count multiple presidential libraries as part of our beloved territory. And if you've only got an afternoon and you have to choose between one of the two, I spoke in glowing terms about the Richard Milhouse Nixon Presidential Library, but this one is the better of the two. And that's why it's here at number four, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley. At number three, the Getty Villa in the Pacific Palisades slash Malibu slash Santa Monica Corridor in the city of Los Angeles on the west side. This was the first of the two J. Paul Getty museums to open in Los Angeles, doing so in 1974. Oddly enough, the gentleman who inspired the whole thing, J. Paul Getty himself, never actually visited the museum, passing away in 1976. And upon his passing, the museum was endowed with an unconscionable, for the time, sum of $660 million for its endowment. It's one of the most remarkable collections of both Roman and Greek antiquity with the Getty Museum in nearby Bel Air having control over most of the other items. J. Paul Getty was famously enamored with objects. 
the richest man in the history of the world, was not really a fan of other human beings, but he loved himself some collectibles. And being that he had more money than anyone had ever accumulated in the history of the world, he spent that on thousand-year-old spoons from Rome, sculptures from ancient Greece, If you're someone who absolutely worships old antiques, this is undoubtedly the best place to see all of those in Southern California. The villa itself is an incredible piece of property. It's almost like the lair of a Bond villain with kind of an underground parking garage that you drive into. And then when you're actually inside of the museum... You feel like you're walking where American royalty once strode. Again, interesting to note because J. Paul Getty himself never actually went there. But it does feel like you're at Buckingham Palace. The views from the property are magnificent. Great for Instagram or other outlets where you publish pictures. Unlike the actual Getty Museum, the Getty Villa feels like it couldn't exist anywhere other than where it does. As you drive along Pacific Coast Highway and you look to the opposite side of the ocean, you'll see this truly massive compound and you wonder, what what is that? It, that can't be somebody's house, can it? And indeed it cannot. It is a museum, but because it's the Getty Villa, it's the most over-the-top, opulent, outrageously expensive-seeming museum that your eyes have ever beheld. So, while America doesn't have a royal family, we kind of have de facto members of the royal class, J. Paul Getty being at the top of that proverbial ladder, This is the best representation of what mattered the most to J. Paul Getty. Items, things, treasures, a gorgeous collection you simply won't find anywhere else. So check it out here at the Getty Villa, but don't expect to see anything that actually improves the lives of other human beings. It's the prettiest picture you've ever seen inscribed on the most shallow canvas, the Getty Villa. And number two, this could only happen here, the La Brea Tar Pits. We head back toward Miracle Mile, the Hancock Park section of Los Angeles, where we behold what I would characterize as nature's museum. The Tar Pits are... Again, another example of something that can't be categorized as a normal museum. These heavenly holes in the ground are not technically even inside of a museum. You're free to walk around and check out any of the hundred plus digging sites that you so choose. But the reason why the La Brea Tar Pits are so high on this list is because every once in a while, we as human beings, I think need reminders of nature's power. Yes, bones and fossils from dire wolves and woolly mammoths, those have been found, and those grab much of the press. But the mere existence of these tar pits 
is kind of a testament to the ongoing process that we're all participating in as human beings. You can see with your own eyes examples of life having existed here thousands and thousands and thousands of years before the advent of smartphones, for example. It should make you feel a little less lonely, a little less alone in the universe for these earthly deposits present to us evidence of life from a long, long time ago in a galaxy right here. Not far, far away. This is not Star Wars or Middle Earth or the land where the world of Harry Potter exists, all of that. Sometimes I struggle with fantasy as a genre because I don't feel as though human beings have even wrapped their heads around what actually transpired on Earth. Maybe it's not as fun or as whimsical, but if you study the deep, deep past of planet Earth, you will find so many rewarding rabbit holes to scurry down. You'll have difficulty returning to stories of outright fantasy because the fantastical has existed and it existed right here. And for purposes of this particular conversation in the Hancock Park section of Los Angeles, if you want to have a bit of levity injected into the proceedings, go back and check out that classic 90s disaster flick Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones that has several scenes at the La Brea Tar Pits and the surrounding Miracle Mile area. One of the most prized memories I have is as a child going through this vast encyclopedia of dinosaurs with my father, and we'd go over the Stegosaurus, and the Raptor, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he would tell me, if you want to see examples of what came right after those guys, I'll take you to the La Brea Tar Pits and teach you about dire wolves. So, if you would like to teach your children a bit about the past in a fun, yet also profound kind of way, you can accomplish quite a bit at the La Brea Tar Pits, a truly magical place right here on Earth, far, far from the Magic Kingdom. And number one, here we go, the USS Midway Museum in downtown San Diego. There are a few ship museums in Southern California there's a great one in San Pedro that I will probably talk about on a forthcoming episode. But the USS Midway offers a multitude of experiences for visitors interested in all kinds of American history. And the most fun part of the whole thing might very well be a Top Gun-inspired flight simulator you have the ability to sit inside of a cockpit with a co-pilot as you navigate your way through a battlefield in the sky. You can pretend to be Maverick or Goose taking out nefarious airplanes trying to wreak havoc on the United States while doing a barrel roll or two. And this is just one of the most fun 
things that I've done in the last couple of years. In addition to the flight simulators, you can tour the whole ship from quarters where the obvious bigwigs probably held court and slept to the infinitesimal sized living quarters of the young enlistees. As you walk around the ship, you start to wonder, how could 2,000 people live aboard this thing for months at a time? And then you remember, that's what these brave men and women signed up for. And that is why we pay great homage and tribute to the folks that served in the armed forces in this country at every single sporting event during every season of every sport in this country. Speaking of sports, in 2012, there was a game that I remember watching between San Diego State and Syracuse University that was played aboard the aircraft carrier. The USS Midway is bigger than a lot of smaller cities that I've passed through over the course of my life. It's almost incomprehensible how massive it truly is. And as you walk from level to level, quarter to quarter, it does feel like you're going to be walking forever with no end anywhere in sight. It's a testament not only to the United States military, but also to the country as a whole itself. The great promise of the United States of America and all of those who have fought valiantly to defend it, all of that is readily palpable as you amble through out the cabins on board the USS Midway. A genuinely special place with that expected scenic San Diego coastline hovering in the background the USS Midway is a miracle of human innovation, and I couldn't be happier to say that we have it inside of our very own beloved sprawl. Well, that's going to do it for another episode here. Want to thank everyone for your continued support for the show. Please hop on iTunes. Five-star ratings do help. They aid a podcast as it ascends up a chart. They help you get seen by a bigger audience. So anything that you'd be willing to do for us on that score would be most appreciated. Social media. Our Instagram handle is Living in the Sprawl Podcast. We love corresponding with any and all of our wonderful listeners. So please write us with suggestions for episodes, topics for episodes that you would like to see covered on the program or any other words of wisdom, questions, comments that you might have. Please direct those to us at livinginthesprawlpodcast at gmail.com. Wanted to remind everyone again about our fantastic collection of new merchandise that we have available for purchase on our website. Those spectacular mugs 
Those are available. You can get yourself or someone that you love a nice mug with our great logo scrawled across the front of it. And now we have stickers. So if you're interested in maybe it could be for the fridge or a backpack or a cell phone or wherever it is that you would like to put a sticker to remind yourself that living in the sprawl is there for all of your Southern California concierge type needs. You can get those on our website. Oh, and we have for our fantastic Patreon supporters recently published our first episode. It's the five best Southern California burgers. You can only hear it if you are a Patreon supporter. It's basically a cup of coffee. So if you would like to hear that and the next episode is going to be favorite places to get seafood in Southern California, you can only hear that exclusive content by becoming a Patreon supporter. And we love any and all of you for doing so. So on behalf of my lovely and talented producer slash fiance, Lisa Lowe, my name is John Steinberg, your humble correspondent and host, thanking you again for hanging out with us here at Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. Until next time.